The Giant. Thinkers. Giant Thinkers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hey Giants, Ram here. This is episode number 84. As you know, I explore the decision-making of the world's best, people who have been exposed and have had proven experience at a world-class level. Previous guests include Kelly Slater, to Shark Tank investors, to gold medalist Olympians, to musicians, designers, creatives, founders, and leaders from all over, including Nike, Deloitte, Visa, Squarespace, WordPress, Creative Live, VaynerMedia, and even the White House. Now, today's guest is an Australian comedian, writer, TV, and movie actor, and Dancing with the Stars Australia 2020 winner, winning the Mirrorball Trophy and $50,000 for her charity, the Safe Steps Family Violence and Support Center. She's in fact the first comedian I've ever interviewed on the show and has brought so much joy and laughter to millions of households. Here's a little snapshot of her success. She's won the Best Supporting Actress at the AACTA Awards, which is the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts, for her role as Dolly Faraday in the acclaimed ABC One drama, The Beautiful Lie. She's also starred in the award-winning TV series, Laid, Logie award-winning drama, Offspring, and in all five seasons, of working dogs show Utopia, which she's won another AACTA award for best performance in a television comedy in 2015. Now, comedy audiences would also know her from her appearances on Spicks and Specs, The Project, and is a regular on the hilarious show, Have You Been Paying Attention? One of my favorites. Internationally, she's been a guest on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, Chelsea Lately, and The Rob Brydon Show. In 2016, she also co-created, co-wrote, and starred in the smash hit comedy Rosehaven with Luke McGregor, for which she won the 2017 award for best performance in a television comedy has been nominated twice for most popular actress at the Logies as well as two nominations for her writing at the Orgies the Australian Writers Guild season five of Rosehaven by the way is out now definitely give it a watch it is brilliant now, some of the topics we spoke about in this episode include how she grew up, including her big break. We spoke about her creative writing process, how she manages the different hats on and off the stage, and very candidly and vulnerably shares some of her experiences with anxiety, depression, and all things mental health and wellness from her vantage point. So if you're someone that's interested in unpacking the journey of a high-performing, multifaceted creative professional in a way that might help you forge your own creative identity and want to listen to something that's just both funny and real, then this episode is for you. 
Now, a quick note from me, if we are not connected yet on Instagram, that's where I'm most active. I invite you to follow me on there. My handle is the giant thinker. I share daily posts and stories on helping decision makers, business owners, and leaders get unstuck through human-centered design methodologies, creative strategies, and personal experiences. Send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on that handle again, the giant thinker. All right, on with the show. I present to you the quick-witted, courageous, and insanely talented Celia Pacola. Celia Pacola, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. I'm stoked to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. Giant Thinkers is a big ask, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's high expectations. No. Well, you, this is actually uh, my first interview out of 80 plus mm. with a comedian. Ah, better be funny so, then. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Having said that, when, when I thought, oh, giant thinkers means a lot of pressure, but I was watching BFG the other day, you know, the Roald Dahl film, and he's a giant and he's right. you know, very kind hearted, but what not someone I'd think of. There's different types of thinking, right? Absolutely That's what I have to right. tell myself. Um, someone told me the other day, I'm, I'm a conceptual thinker, which made it sound a lot better than someone who doesn't remember numbers. But I was like, cool, that make, that's, that's turned that into a positive. I absolutely think you are with all the work you've done. I was first introduced to you, uh, with you gracing our screens on Utopia first airing in 2014. And I love your character, Nat, COO, um, <laughs> just straight faced and um, much different to your character in Rosehaven. So we'll, we'll dive into a bit of that, but uh, an icebreaker question is how I start. And I have one submitted from uh, one of the listeners. Uh, her name's Kate White. And she says, can you please ask Celia to run for parliament? <laughs> that is a terrible idea. You can ask her, but absolutely not for your sake, for the people's sake. Would I ask Nat Russell, the character that I play in Rosehaven uh-huh. for parliament? Yes, she should. She is very, very smart and hardworking and kind. And I have to believe that there are people like her in those worlds, in politics. People like Sarah Hansen Young, who I've met, and I'm like, thank goodness that there are, that I believe that there are people in there. But I'm not one of those people. I, um, I am very much closer to my character in Emma, which is uh, silly, silliness and fun. But um, it was really fun to play nat russell because she's so smart but between you and me sometimes there are things that i would say that i wasn't entirely sure what they meant but nat did so that's that's what's important yeah i love it and um she's so empowered in utopia like i remember the scene where she was on the in the uh in the boardroom Mm -hmm. with as an advisor or something to Mm -hmm. uh a group of people and they sort of skip the important issues. And Nat was trying to ensure that, you know, the, that everyone was doing the right thing for the yeah. humanity. She, uh, I don't know that empowered's a word I do. She's like, she gets sort of worn down. Like she just has to keep fighting and just idiots in her way. <laughs> and what they, what they do really well, um, working dog, I mean, the scripts are amazing, but what, they do really well. Um, that's a really funny thing is people characters who think they're helping that are actually making it worse. 
So it's infuriating. So all of the idiots, you know, just hopeless, useless people surrounding my character Nat and um, Rob Sitch's character think they're helping. They don't know that how they're making it worse. And you just can't be mad at them because they're, they're kind of oblivious to what they're doing. This it, it's, it's such a great dynamic that is so frustrating. Like, that I just feel tense even just talking yeah. about. <laughs> and um, the the shocking thing is because I've never worked in an office in my life. I'm hospitality arts stuff. Um, so when it started, I was like, what a ridiculous satire this is. And then just meeting people in the real world going, this is real. This is my life. This is what infrastructure is. And um, is is kind of, kind of terrifying, but uh, yeah, she was a really good character to play. And interestingly also I, w- at the start, I was nervous because she's not your classic comedy character. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be the boring one. You know, I sort of was jealous of, right. like, I want to be the silly, funny one. But I feel like more people identify with Nat because everyone wanted to be Nat. No one wants to watch that show and, and identify with the one making everyone else's life impossible. There's so many truths in it. Uh, for the listeners, if you haven't watched it, uh, Utopia, it's also called uh, Dreamland. Is that correct? In the US and yeah. in the UK? I'm not sure um, why. I just read another UK show called Utopia, so I had to rename it. Yes, check it out. Um, I personally could relate so much to it. But uh, yeah, thanks for the question, Kate. Um, I think based on the trajectory you're on, we can't rule it out. Radio, TV, film, comedy, dancing, what's next? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, let's chat uh, about your expertise, Celia. Where would you say your expertise lies? Oh, it's interesting. Um, like you say, uh, very varied. I think in working in the, to make a career in, in the arts, you just have to be to a certain extent. The advantage is that I really like that. I really like trying a lot of different things um, as much as, you know, <laughs> I get very, have a lot of anxiety and fear of stuff. If I'm not, once I get sort of comfortable in something, it gets boring and I want to look for the next new jump in the deep end kind of vibe. Um, the one thing that is constant over all of the things, even though they're very, very different is I guess comedy. There's always an element of comedy storytelling and just creating stuff content. I'm not really a dissector of things. I'm a creator of stuff, even on, on dancing with the stars, it was telling the story of the experience as well as the, you know, of how to still find ways to do jokes and, make a story out of this physical thing. But I guess, yeah, ex- expertise is comedy, but in, in, a, in a broader sort of sense and just, yeah, creating stuff. <laughs> Perfect. With words, generally creating stuff with words. Is that the yeah, thing? And we're, we're going to dive into uh, a little bit about that um, in a minute uh, for context for, for the listeners and, and for myself. Can you tell us a little about your childhood and Ooh, how I- you grew up? Um, so I grew up in country Victoria, uh, and I was very bored. We lived in them on the mountain where there was no one around bush, no video games, no internet, no nothing. It's weird. I, I don't know how old you are, but it's weird living in the, the, the middle times where I remember there being no, that kind of, the internet came in when I was like 16 and then it was shit for 10 years. Um, so I think I owe a lot creatively to spending a lot of time being bored um, and would make, have to make up stories and stuff because there was nothing else to do and just open sky and a lot of nature stuff. 
So I grew up that way and then went to high school, sucked, went to a private girl's grammar, which was a real shock to the system, two hours on the bus every day. Uh, um, and then got out of there as soon as I turned 18 and did professional writing and drama media at university because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But yeah, and then I was an adult. So that's the childhood. <laughs> country, bored child in the country, then did just misfit at high school and then found comedy pretty much out just out of uni. So there's a question from uh, a Christy Hunter uh, mm-hmm. who submitted this as well, which is kind of tied into this. And it was later on in, the, uh, in my notes here, but I'll, I'll push it up. Have you felt in the past or do you feel currently that you're on the right path? And if so, how did you know? Ooh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I look back, because it all happened quite fast. When I started stand-up, like I was in the Raw Finals straight away, my first show won a thing and I waste, not wasted, but, and, and a lot of people say this, looking back now, I wish I'd had more fun. I spent a lot of time going, I don't deserve this. It's too soon. It's going to stop. It's going to end. It might as well, it's going to end tomorrow. Like, um, so, but the more time that went on, I guess the more comfortable, I still don't know if it'll end tomorrow or, but the more it goes on, the more logically I can't deny that I'm a bit good at it because it's my job. You know what I mean? The more time goes on, the fact that I've been rehired and I've worked again, the more work that I do just means that I'm doing something right. For me, I know I'm, I, I don't, there's no track cause I've got no plan to get anywhere in particular. I just always want to be doing work that I find interesting and challenging at the time. You know, if something comes to me and I go, eh, but I've done something like that boring, it's got to be exciting to me now, like dancing with the stars that came up and I'm like, right, well, this is when it, this has come up and doing that last year. I did a play. I'd never done a play before. It had always sort of been on my, on my list somewhere. And when it came up, I went, right, let's do that. So I'm just, I feel like I'm, I'm in going in the right direction when I'm doing stuff that's a bit scary and, and engaging and pushes me a bit further. That's a, a bit scary, a bit hard, but, um, it feels rewarding. Yeah. The space for learning, right? The- honest, there's some stuff I've done that I'm like, that was absolute shit. I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> play, there's stuff I loved about it, but I'm not doing that again in a very long time. It was really, really hard. <laughs> right, I get it, but that doesn't, yeah, it, it, it's uh, some things you'll find. Oh, okay. Happy, happy. I tried it, but also maybe that's not an area I want to spend any more time. I love it. I love the the thought behind the the decision making there because I think when Christy and others are thinking far out, you've done so much. Check out Celia's Wikipedia page. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been busy. I've got no kids. I've got no kids. <laughs> but I've been. Well, you just panic. Like I'm. I really have probably said yes to too much stuff. I don't. This is why the whole lockdown has been really hard because I don't. I'm not someone who values downtime, and that's something I need to learn. Um, because I'm so used to, you just, you have to, you say you work while the, make hay while the sun shines. You don't know when it's going to stop. So I'm usually in a state of panic if I don't have the next two jobs lined up. Um, but the weird thing is as well with the decision-making with projects, because in, in this job, it's a lot of one-offs. It's a lot of stuff. That's a, a job for a week or a job for a night, whatever is you don't know which one might be a disaster because that's the risk as well is it is a real thing that you might do something terrible that stuck that sticks to you 
for the rest of your career. It's unlikely that any one job will stop you from having a career, but you just got to push through that fear as well. I'd rather, you know, I've said, I've turned down some things that have come out that were really good. That I was like, ah, dang it. I probably, maybe I should have done that one. And then there's other ones where I have come out and I've gone, I really dodged a bullet <laughs> with that project. Um, but it's just what feel, what feels right as well. You sort of know. What drives the, uh, the not having too much downtime, as you said there, like what, what propels you to whether it's with work or just activity and movement in general, what, what pulls you call it work ethic, even how did you find that? I think it's knowing it. I really think it's, um, knowing how lucky I am to have been able to make a career at this. You you feel you have to work hard. I guess I've always been like that trying to get attention by having good marks and stuff. Like I was, a try hard at high school. I think that's what I used to describe myself the most as a try hard. Like I, was a, I wasn't a jock and I wasn't a bully and I wasn't the nerdiest. I was a try hard. So I, I really just pretended to fit in with everyone and do anything I could to make other people. So there's an, el- there's an element of that. Um, also, and this is not great. Don't take this as advice, but I take a lot of my self-worth from my achievements and my stuff. I go, if people like this thing that I did, then they, you know, they like me because I made this cool stuff. So I better make, keep doing that cool thing. Um, you know, who am I if I'm not doing these things that are who I am? Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> so I know aware that that's not particularly healthy. So it's, it's been good uh, to tr- really try and lean into this downtime because some really good creative stuff, sometimes you need to sit and let, re- have a time of, um, of taking things in like reading and watching films and stuff to replenish up your ideas before you can do, because writing and comedy is so much output. It's just every thought you have is like, can I use it? What can I put that in? Can I put that in a scene? Can I put that as a joke or something? Um, so I think it is valuable to have, I'm not, I'm still not great at it, like meditation and all that kind of um, that, but uh Yes, it's sort of been forced upon me. So, yeah. Talk to us about that writing part of, of your process. I mean, there are a lot of listeners who always write into myself and, and, and I see it on other uh, creative leaders in the world where there's that question, how do you break through writer's block? How do, how do you stay creatively inspired? And where does, where does the creativity come from? What's that for you? Um, it's, it's, it's different in terms of, I guess, what you're writing. Um, with scripts, so Luke and I both, Luke and I write Rosehaven. So that's us writing our scripts. We've written four seasons and that's on a deadline and that's creativity on a deadline, always fun. So if there's a, if we have a block, if I have a block with, with that, sometimes I just need to push through it. So you just write anything and it's terrible. And I'm like, and then they go to the shop and something happened. Like even actually just writing stuff like that, because even though it's shit, the next day there will be something in that that's useful, even if it just moved a bit. So I do think there's value in just pushing through it um, because no one's going to see it, but you, know, I feel like a lot of people get nervous or don't want to start. Cause they're like, Oh, what if it's not great? No one has to see it, delete it. It's on your computer. Just write it down. There's nothing for you to lose from giving it a shot with stand up. If I have a block, 
My stand-up, unfortunately, just has to come from my own life. Like I've tried to go, I'm going to write jokes about dinosaurs. I can't do it. It doesn't work like that. It has to be from a story uh, of my life or an opinion or something. So if I get really stuck and I've gotten, feel like I've got no new ideas, I'll often revisit an old piece of material and just see where it might go, what, what possible, what would feel like a natural next topic for that. Um, I talk to myself a lot with stand-up. I don't write stand-up down. I don't type it out very much. It's more try and catch a little phrase um, and then put it in front of an audience as soon as possible. Um, but I've never, I haven't written any books or anything like that, but I feel like breaks are good doing it in maybe in short, you have to put it, do it in 20 minute and then go do something a bit physical. You just got to keep doing it. You just have to keep turning up. I don't know that I don't have like a strict up at 9am at the desk for eight hours kind of thing. I do it till I've had enough, but you know, when you just to do, do something every day and just keep, you just have to do it, you know? Absolutely. I think there's two great things uh, that stood out to me just then with what you said. One is write the thing knowing that it, it can, it's, can be just for your eyes. You can yeah. also delete it. And then the second thing that also stood out is um, just writing phrases of stuff because uh, upon my research, I discovered and correct me if I'm wrong here, that Utopia mm. has no live read throughs. And mm. I always wondered this very way of working, especially for comedians or anyone in uh, TV or film, how much guidance is there in scenes that have room for improv and creating material on the fly? Right. Well, most shows don't have live read throughs. I think both have, I think we might be like the only one that writers are usually shocked when they find out that we do a live read through, but that's only because Luke and I are comedians and we want to know where the jokes are. We want to know what's, what's funny. Um, but generally speaking, every other TV, I've not heard of another TV show that does a, a read in front of an audience. Um, they all do table reads, even with Utopia. So you do a cast sitting around the table read. So there's that, but not with an audience. Um, I guess it really depends. Oh, and in terms of impro, it's, it's dependent on the show. So Utopia is so tightly scripted and it's so well like there's no there's not really room for improv if you had an idea you'd have to pitch it to them but that happened very rarely um rosehaven we have limited impro because we just don't have the time and that's why luke and i spend a lot of time on the script um that always started as impro which is why it seems like we've just thought of it because at some point we did if that makes sense so uh but but on the day um and you, you, you're just doing such long hours. We'd prefer to trust our past selves, not our tired selves. Like sometimes you'll think of something and you go, is this funnier? But it just seems like it's funnier because it's new, but it's actually not your initial instinct was correct. Um, I mean, improv is a completely different skill. I don't consider myself a, a good improviser at all. I'm a, I'm very much a writer. I mean, I do podcasts and stuff, you know, you've got to be able to be off the cuff a bit, but I always prefer to be able to shape and polish a thing and then put it out into the world. But um, yeah, I guess it depends. I don't know who, when you're talking about people writing who are listening to this, that there's so many different types of, you know, whether it's a script or a screenplay or that kind of thing. I think, I, I, I think anything that's TV or stage or whatever benefits from a live read, even if it's just with, 
the cast just so you can hear it. It's so different stuff on the page to hearing it said. You can hear the musicality of it and where the beats are and where it drags um, is really important. That's an interesting fun fact that people might not know. So Rob Sitch, who directs um, Utopia, there's no, there's no um, split. There's no camera. No one's watching the monitors. There's no monitor. He directs entirely by listening. So he's not watching. He's just, he has headphones and he listens to the scene and directs it like that because it's written. It's about the, and he'll come in and go, da, 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 da. it's about the, the, the musicality of the scene. So that's was fascinating to me. So you, you will notice if you watch it again, like, the, the, the oh, it's so fast. It's so fast and witty. That's why I, I, I even to my assumption lean towards it being improv because I'm like, how are they just yeah. so fast? You've got to learn it. You've got to know your lines, prepare. <sighs> okay, good, good. And one thing you mentioned about your past self, that's very interesting because I often find if, even if I have a, if I don't have a notepad, I'll have my phone. So I'll have a, a notepad digitally capturing some thoughts. Yeah. Are you, are you constantly doing that with your material? Oh yeah, totally. Totally. I send myself emails. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I do it all the time. I think it. a lot of people do that. Yeah. Just a reminder, just because you get so many emails, but you can't yeah. delete them. Like there's important stuff, but there's stuff that's more important. So just to move stuff to the top of the pile. But sometimes yeah. if I wake up and have a thought about the standup or it's just a wording or a couple of words or something to remember totally but i still also use physical notebooks and i've got a hundred of them sitting over there that i don't know what i'm going to do i don't know why i keep them but i'm also not going to throw them out there's something about actually pen and paper for me i don't i don't know why but yeah i'm very much that way i forgot to ask you about your um in the part of your journey so we might go back and forth here but there's there's this important question of how did you get your first break well, um, it's so silly. So I was a big fan <laughs> of the late show. So I was a big fan of them. So I did the Melbourne uni law review, which is a sketch show, even though I did not go to Melbourne or study law, but that's what they did. They, they did the Melbourne law review. So I did that. So that was sort of the first real comedy thing. Um, university, uh, started a theater company. We did some sketch and then I went on a date with an accountant and we were like, what are we going to do? And we looked in the back of the paper and there was this place called the Comics Lounge. So we went to the Comics Lounge, which was a comedy show, and there was an act on um, who I ended up chatting to and got his number. Look, it doesn't make, this story is very bad for me. So never saw the accountant again and I started dating <laughs> the comedian because they're very charming. It's funny. Don't get me started. And then he signed me up for Raw Comedy, which is the national open mic competition, without telling me. He went and then he told, he's like, I've signed you up. You're doing it in two weeks. How romantic. I am. Well, well, it turns out. So it was great. I really don't think I would have done it myself because if you sign yourself up, then that's an element of you thinking you can do it, which is too arrogant for me at the time. You know, I was like, (laughs) um, so, and also it gives you a, a deniability. Like if I'm shit at this and I never said I was good, so it's fine. Um, so that was my first ever gig that was in, in Fitzroy and I, uh, got through and I got to the national final and I won best first time entrant. And that was like my sixth gig ever at the town hall on the ABC in front of 1500 people. And guess who won that year? Hannah Gadsby. Where is she now? 
So that was the start. That's where I met Hannah. She's also, also a, a friend of mine. That was, so it all started really quick. So from there, just started doing, I was waitressing at the time. Um, so then just doing gigs and a bit of radio. Then I did my first, the first show was a two-hander. I did a, I did a stand-up show half an hour split with someone else. And then the year after that was my first solo show and that one thing. And then I went to, so yeah. So that's how it started. Oh, oh, fun fact I'd left out. The guy who I dated turned out to be a complete sociopath, cheater, liar, multiple personality, psycho. And I based my first hour show about that story and it won all these awards and maybe we're more famous. <laughs> Isn't that great? If it wasn't him, I wouldn't have got into comedy at all. There's Maybe. always a reason. Isn't that There's cool? There's always a reason. I love it. I think, I think that's going to really inspire people. <laughs> I'm not saying if you go on a date with someone, you should leave with someone else. That's not great advice. But I'm very much, you know, it's not as like fatey, but also if stuff comes up, just sort of follow stuff that feels natural like that just kind of happened it, it really and there was a lot of shit along the way it's not like it was suddenly all easy there was it was it's been a long time that was i don't know 15 odd years ago now um, so good yeah all right so shifting the needle a little bit you ready for this one yeah i don't know what it is but yes <laughs> <laughs> so on amazon prime video yeah there's a show called all talk where you have a stand-up episode in the series and I watched it. It was awesome. Um, now, I do have a very short audio bite to play for, for the listeners. Here we go. One day, I got up in the morning and one of my flatmates was in the kitchen making breakfast and, and I went, morning, and she went, mate. I went, yeah? And she goes, I've got to tell you, I heard you having sex last night. And I was like, well, great. This is embarrassing because I was not having sex. <laughs> Last night. Not even a little bit. She goes, yeah, I figured it out. What had happened was she has a tiny dog, right? A Chihuahua cross Papillon. Its head is smaller than my fist, okay? It sleeps in her room with her. Somehow it got stuck outside her bedroom door. So it was crying and scratching at her bedroom door. And she heard that sound of a tiny dog crying and scratching and went, that'll be Celia fucking. I mean... So good. That's it. That's all the torture I'm giving you. <laughs> It's so weird. Do you want to know one time? This is so brutal. When I was in Edinburgh, which is like brutal, it, it's, it's a bubble. It's the best and the worst thing in the world. It's the biggest comedy festival in the world. It's huge. Um, and I, there was this showcase that you want to get on because all the reviewers go and you want the review because there's like thousands and thousands of shows and you need to get a review. And I wanted to be on this showcase. And um, this woman was like, why should I put you on? The woman who ran it and made me find a clip and stand next to her while she watched my YouTube clip and just in silence. It's just torture to... to. Sorry to do that to you. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. And that's fine. I mean, it couldn't be anything. From that show in particular, that show, it's, it's full on. But no, that bit's fine. That bit's fine. Do you have questions about that in, in particular? That's well, uh, the reason why, well, two reasons why I, yeah. I played that um, was I felt that there was a lot of light and shade and depth and rawness because although there's a clip 
uh, that I've just played there, which is quite lighthearted and funny. Um, you also go quite deep, which I very much appreciated. You were quite raw and transparent. So, you know, you spoke about your experiences with anxiety and depression since your teenage years, and you have written um, articles about this and, and, and I, and I love that you, you openly share that. Um, how, how can listeners who are also challenged by their own versions of anxiety and depression, what advice have you got for them who are maybe also forming their own identity and, and, and sort of navigating their own path um, creatively? How can they, find bravery and courage in, in what they do? Sure. I'm really proud to be able to talk about this stuff. And it's not always, it's one of those things as well, where that's what this show. So that show all talk, that was my most recent show from 2017. As I say, you write about what's going on in your life. So that was very particular to that sort of year. That doesn't mean there's always an element of some mental health stuff in all of my shows because it's part of me, but it's just that show in particular was a lot focused on that because that was that part of my life. But um, it's not all I talk about. You know what I mean? This is the other idea that I like being versatile because I never want to be like, you're the, that comedian or you're the person who does that um, stuff. But I love being able to, to talk about it publicly because it just normalizes it for, for people. And the response that you get is that I've received just far outweighs any kind of embarrassment or stigma or what, what can people do to me is just, it's so worth it for, for helping, for potentially helping someone. And I say that from the point of view is I personally went on antidepressants, which has been great for me. It's not for everyone because of a piece of material that Hannah Gadsby did. I remember seeing her talk about it on stage and I was like, Oh yeah, it was just, it was like, it was something like, oh, people don't want to take antidepressants. What, is there something wrong with you? Yeah, that's why I'm taking them. Yeah, that's like just made to some kind of offhanded thing. And that directly led me to actually look into those of things. So it can actually um, just help make people feel better, make people feel not less alone. Um, when I talk about it in stand-up, I have to earn it. I don't want anyone, I want my shows to be comedy. So you can talk about, anything you want, as long as you've earned it and it's honest. And when I'm talking about anything that's honest, I also feel give people the full story. They want the, the, the light and shade. If you're going to tell them the good stuff, you've got to tell them the bad stuff as well. Also in terms of how to talk about, it, just be honest. You'd be surprised. Everyone's got some kind of experience with this and my advice if someone, if any, for anyone in a sort of difficult place is just keep trying things. That's, that's the major takeaway I found. It took me a lot of different things and I still have to try a lot of different things. But if one thing doesn't work for you, don't give up. Like I was throwing acupuncture at, you know, just try anything and everything and, and keep trying because then the next thing or a combination of things might make sense to your brain and um, you don't need to be feeling how you how you are. It's not a, it's not a certainty of your life. It's, it's, you know, that this too shall pass. You'll get through it. There's something on the, on the other side of it, but totally talk about it. Like there's nothing to gain from keeping it secret and there's everything to gain from just sharing it um, in whatever way that means 
to you, whether that's completely public or if it's just to a friend or to a professional, it's not a big deal. It's a lot of us. It's great insight. And um, appreciate you sharing, sharing that because I think for, for me, it's important to also interview people who are leaders in their own industries and in their own sort of professional spaces, but to also pull back the curtain on, on well, the reality is, of the journey. Often, often like when I had a, the, my worst sort of episode was when everything was going amazingly in my career. So you have this added shame. You that's often why you won't say anything about it because on paper, your life's perfect. So you go, why I've got no right to feel this way. Um, which sort of makes you spiral even further, but it, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily discriminate of how much money you've got in the bank or how lucky you are. You can still be lucky and depressed, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah. And I think a lot of times very successful, a lot of, well, heaps of comedians. It's a real, I think it's a artistic people. And this is unfounded, but I think it's might not have something to do with the fact that, you have to look inside all the time. I think when you're a creative person, you're spending so much time in your mind and you have to look inwards for work, for your work that I feel like it brings up a lot of stuff all of the time. When you live in your emotions, I sometimes feel like if I had a job where I could just focus on, you know, I sometimes fantasize about missing my hospitality job, like polishing cutlery or, or something. Um, not to say if you work in hospitality, you kind of mental health problems, but I do feel there's something about day in, day out, examining your thoughts and feelings that you can get, you know, it can take you to some places, some difficult places emotionally. Absolutely. And, and you've tried a lot of things as well. So I think there's certainly so much merit in the hindsight viewpoint, which is what you're describing as well. Yeah. Right? Like and the, the point of the show, well, sort of at the end of the show, I realized because I'd had a, is that for me, and this might be the case for other people as well, mental health is not, is just some, is something to manage. It's never fixed. So you have to be on alert for it and get, and that's okay. Like it's okay that it's there. It, it, we all want to go fixed, never going to happen again. That's fine. Like this is, this is a weird example, but I'm assuming there are some women listening to your, your, podcast um every time i will get my time of the month it's a shock it's a surprise to me i'm like what because when it finishes i'm like great that's never happening again because i hated it <laughs> but you just got to accept that this is part of who you are and it's my you know with mental health just noticing the signs and and doing the things that you have to do to get on top of it before it gets to a point that is not manageable you know, it's, it, and it's, and that's an important thing as well for leaders of, you know, business successful people is you're busy and you often put mental health as a low priority. You're like, oh, I'll do it later when, when you really need to make sure you make time to do things for yourself, self care stuff, because you're not going to get any work done if you let it get to a point where you're in a really bad way. So it's smart business to have a bath every now and then, you know, <laughs> to, light, to light a candle and chill out is actually, it feels like you're not doing work, but in the, in the long run, really, you're not good. You're no good to anyone. If you, if you're in, in a very unwell place. Yeah. And with 
these multi-hat wearing mm-hmm. in many ways on and off stage and TV and, and the times when you are alone and, 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 and lighting that candle or going for a, a walk or at the gym or, or you dancing, doing splits 2020, um, <laughs> squeeze that in there. But mm-hmm. uh, how, how I've always wondered how comedians in particular manage that identity of doing a lot of different things. Yeah. Like, uh, performing, let's call it, uh, mm-hmm. making people laugh, but then also having moments where you're like, Oh, I don't feel that great today or oh. I feel good today, but I'm not performing and I have a private life too. And I, I'm writing today or there's so many things. It's just, you just, this is why it, the, my life, it doesn't feel like one long road. I'm not on a ladder. I'm not on a stick. I said, it's, mm. it really is day by day. What am I doing today? What's today's priority? Um, what's the project I'm working on? It's job to job. It's the next thing that excites me. So it's kind of like that in terms of performing versus not performing. It's weird. You just, it's, it is weird. Like there's something wrong with comedians. <laughs> There's not, but it's a weird person who can stand on a stage and tell thousands, you know, complete strangers intimate details of their life. Um, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And it's, for example, I'll do that happily I'll, on a, every aspect of my life, which is why it's weird hearing it back. In the moment, I'm fine doing it. But if anyone from that audience would come up to me after the show, I would not say any of that stuff to a single person one-on-one, you know what I mean? Like in the real life off stage, I hate being the center of attention, cannot bear it. A complete introvert can't, can't stand it. That's why I'm, I'm a, I'm a writer, but it's, but still I love it on stage. I love being on stage. I love being able to connect with people. You know is? I love theater. I used to love, I loved going to the theater and sitting in the dark because the theater is like, the only place where you're allowed to stare at someone like it's the only time like in the street even with its friends it's weird you can't you're not allowed to just look but in theater you can look I would just look at someone's hand and they wouldn't know like when you're actually allowed to sort of study someone and learn things and pretend you already knew it like I love doing stand-up for that reason for example like with some of the stuff I say even if it's not it doesn't always work. I like to say it because I go, there might be someone in the audience who really needed to hear that, you know, um, it, it can be a real powerful tool where you can talk directly to people that you would otherwise have no contact with at all. Um, so I love that. Uh, in terms of being down and stuff, comedians are very open and we all talk <laughs> to each other about what's about what's going on and we're not as great at, taking care of ourselves sometimes, but it's a, it's a fairly open community. Um, because when you gig with people, it's a bond that's like, we've all the people that you come up with, like the people that you started with that you do your shittiest worst gigs with, you just, you're sort of bonded, bonded for life. That's great. Well, well done on such a powerful stand up set, uh, for the listeners. Uh, that's available on Amazon. But if that's too dark for you, there's one called The Looking Glass, which I think is on Stan, which is all about dating. There you go. That's a dating. Oh, I've got Stan too. Yeah. And I will watch that next. <laughs> there's um, one. I, this one's so bad. I had a really bad haircut in it. I can't. It's so upsetting. 
first one is so bad. Go on. What's that one? <laughs> oh no, it's terrible. And oh, I can't bear it. It's, um, it was my first and only DVD. Like it's on and out. I've got three boxes of it, and it's my worst show. I wish we'd filmed the second show. Anyway, um, and it's about being in a long distance relationship. It's called Delayed. It was about being in a long distance relationship. Uh, and it working out, we stayed together, but we didn't. We broke up like halfway through doing the show. It really sucked. I had to keep doing this show. And that's when I learned to not do stand up about being happy. Like, because it's brutal to do st- like, don't, don't get on stage and talk about how great a thing is because guaranteed <laughs> the universe Lesson will learned. Up, up for you. Yeah. Well, I, I can hear the, uh, the tapping on the computer searching on eBay right now for that DVD. <laughs> uh, Rosehaven. Yeah. For those that haven't watched the show, why have you not? But where? also, wh- where have you been? Um, how would you describe it? How would I describe it? It's a buddy comedy. It's two best friends in rural Tasmania running real estate agents. That's it. It is very silly. People, uh, for the longest time, I got annoyed when people could call it gentle, but now I've embraced it. It's the best compliment we've ever had is someone told us they watch it when they're hungover. It's that, it's that show. It's little low stakes. It's just silly. No one in, no one in Rosehaven has read a newspaper. There's no climate change. There's no Donald Trump. No, they don't talk about anything real and stressful. It's, it's small town problems and best friends being complete, just idiots. (laughs) That's so good. And I'm glad you brought up the best friend component because uh, a a submission from uh, another listener, Alana Rados wrote, Mm -hmm. And, and you do have a, have a big female base of listeners um, of my base that wrote Woo! in, uh, which is cool and love heart likes all around. Um, one thing, uh, she, so she said, one thing I really love about Rosehaven is the friendship shared by her character and Luke McGregor. I would love to know if there's any difficulty or challenges when uh, they face when writing a male and female friendship their relationship on screen seems very defined. And I can't think of another show where two people of the opposite sex are so comfortable as friends. It's really a testament to the fantastic writing of the show. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's very kind. Uh, I, I'd love to take credit of how amazingly written it is, but it's just really our life. So we can't see it. We are actually friends. The weird thing was in the beginning, we tried to write us as a couple and that was too hard. We couldn't do it. It was not believable. we right? like it because we just thought that was funny the thought of the two of us as a couple is funny but it doesn't work it was it was just wrong so um we wrote us as friends because we are and we're the same oh pins and nails in that we thought that that's way more interesting it's not what you see very often is a um, male and female platonic friendship in their 30s because it gets rarer the older you get because often people get into couples and it just it just doesn't seem to exist as much so we thought that was more interesting and the first season the abc was like we'll let you do this but obviously they'll get together eventually right and in our minds we're like yeah or maybe but then we were really happy that the audience enjoyed it as much as we did so then they just were just were happy to take that completely off the table like because we didn't know yeah, but we found that the support was over, overwhelming, that people were excited to see. It's just refreshing. It's just, it's just something you don't see all the time. And genuinely, we are friends. We have our um, sort of stressful circumstances because we just, for the sheer amount of time we spend together. But I've been very lucky to find a creative partner like him that we've had so few 
fights over the years. And if anything, we're both overthinkers. So we often have like a pre-fight, like you feel it coming on and I'll go, I've got to tell you, I feel like this is going to become something. And he goes, yeah, me too. I'm sorry. And I go, I'm sorry. Like we will apologize before. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're really glad that people um, are into it, are into that, that friendship. And they're just, they're a good team. They, they, they're different, but they are, they're sort of better together. And um, we write for each other. Like I, we both write full scripts, but we also have, like a veto. If it's our character who says a line, then we get to say, you know, change it or, you know, whatever, but we're both comedians and um, it was easy. That's what we're actually like. So there's not so much a challenge as writing us as friends as getting it across the line in the early days, but um, glad we did. Well, it's great to see the friendship uh, on and off the screen. Uh, and I'm a huge fan as well of Luke. So please send him my, my love for, for the, the talented, hardworking person that he is to, to make us laugh on our screens. Um, thank you. Rose having is a great show. So, so for, for everyone that can get their, their hands on it, wherever you are in the world, try, try to get into that. Um, so this year, 2020, you won the 17th season of Dancing with the Stars Australia. Bloody hell. I can't let that slip through the cracks. I miss it so much. I mean, really? Knowing about the global pandemic, but one of them is that it's really <laughs> taking the shine off the fact that I won Dancing with the Stars. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because when I was watching it, it was still kicking on, but with no audience, of course. Um, oh, the end we, there. Uh, we, every, every day was waiting for the email going, it's shut down. Um, so, but yeah, it escalated yeah. to no audience. Um, and then they jumped, they skipped the final episode. So they, they, combined the semi-final and the final in one. So we were able to finish the competition and then yeah, straight into lockdown. So it's, it was just so weird. I did a Can flip I- to no applause. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. I did <laughs> see that one. I'm glad we finished it, but I was like, it's just, it's, it was, it was, it, but it felt like the world was falling apart. Like that was when at first no one knew what was happening at all. And it was so weird to be just dancing to still turn up and be like, so do we go into a volcano today or do we just keep learning the Charleston? We keep learning the Charleston. All right, fine. Like it was just surreal, but um, I loved it. I really, I really, it was so hard, but it was, it, um, I miss it. Well, I watched it like many just for you because <laughs> I don't really watch dancing with the stars like at all. And when I found out you were on it, a, I was like, good on you. And uh, let's see how she goes right? Like, and you yeah, just were so open with your <laughs> well, what, learning journey. This is, this is, this is, this is what I was talking about. So it's the only reality show I'd ever say yes to ever, because if I'm shit at it, how funny. And I get to, it's the dream. <laughs> if I'm good at it. And like, you get to dress up and be sparkly and have that like stand up. Like, cause I'm not a musician. Like I get jealous of the finish and then the, you know, it was just, I was like, I, I want to try. Um, and then it's that whole thing that I take into everything that I do is just being open and honest. Why wouldn't you? This is not a show about dancing. It's actually a show about if people want to spend time with you, if they've got to like you, like my dance partner, Jared with a Y as in why do you spell your name? So weird, Jared, he loves that joke. Um, <laughs> he last year was with Olympia Valance, who's this gorgeous neighbors actor and they were the best dancers and they got kicked off because 
people didn't connect with them or I don't know. So it's part of the show. Yeah. It's, it's not about, um, no one wants to see just people who are really, well, sometimes it's a different show to see someone who's good at something, do it well, like dancing with the stars. I want to see a journey. I want to see people be really shit at this and <laughs> try and get better and be, and be open and people are coming up for the, for the journey. So give it to them. So I did a lot of Instagram stories and stuff. I I documented heaps of it um, because that's the most interesting part to me is the first sort of five weeks, that first from nothing, from having no relation, from a complete stranger and no fitness. That was the other thing. Everyone else in the show was already fit. Well, what? (laughs) I was like, I had a full, (laughs) I had a full cheat couple of months beforehand i'm like i'm not going into this fit i'm going i'm about to go into boot camp are you kidding me i'm gonna <laughs> i want to have somewhere to go so i had you know probably the, definitely the biggest physical change and stuff so yeah i i uh i really think in all things well is, is he selling you for, for i knew i was there i was i'm not there as a dancer i'm there as the personality and you want people to connect with you and uh it was great again the feedback because it happened when the pandemic was all started and people were scared and so the messages that were like thank you for putting on something dumb and sparkly to distract us for an hour a week felt suddenly felt kind of important it was brilliant Uh, all those good things and the well, two, two highlights came, came to mind um, on your journey, obviously seeing the incremental change and development within yourself in, in all ways. But uh, one was just your responses to the judges. Ah! <laughs> like you just didn't give him a bar of it, right? Like you, you definitely just stood no. your ground. I loved that. Yeah, I'm the comedian. You got it. Well, because that was, I was prepared every judging I was mentally prepared for them because I've had, I've been heckled. I've had my ass yelled at. Um, I prepared for them to be, to have hated it, just to steal yourself to that. And then if they're not, it's better, but you've got to give it back to them. Like I'm there as a comedian. You want to give a show. <laughs> like Ed Cavalier, who's my good friend, even better now. I'm really glad he was there. We really grew closer as friends from doing that together. Um, he's the same. Like we want to do jokes. We want to put on a show. We're like, we want to be good content so he was doing jokes all the time as well and sometimes we were more excited if the jokes worked rather than the dance like, oh my god did you see that one i got denier with he's like dude that was so good um so thank you i appreciate that because i was trying the the other thing that i will say that i'm really proud of is you get to choose so i won so i won fifty thousand dollars for my charity of choice who are safe steps um who are a, a crisis response service in victoria for women and children experiencing family and domestic violence but they also manage 1800 respect which is the national hotline and um i loved giving them exposure and working with them because they do incredible work and a lot of people don't know they exist particularly now can you imagine the horrible situation you'd be in in lockdown with an abuser or if you at risk like it's just terrible. So they're still available. They work all the time. There's still people there, no matter what stage of lockdown, um, go on their website and there's advice on how to get help or if there's someone you're worried about, but yeah, safe steps, look them up. So I was, I was thrilled to be able to do as well as just do some silly spins and stuff, but to, to, to give a bit of um, exposure to a, a cause I really believe in. 
for sure and and the the mirror ball trophy was was one thing but to have fifty thousand dollars uh of the charity of your choice chosen and and um silly you, you did give that generously to safe steps family violence and support center um such a great cause so so definitely get behind that um and can I just say there was one dance that stood out, which was yeah. my jam. It was, it was, it's the song that just gets me up off my seat, whether it's a, 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 at a party or someone's wedding reception or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's of course, crazy in love. Oh no! <laughs> and you were just like uh, sass all uh, over with that sparkly get up and that yeah. hairdo. Who is that? I was like, that's not Celia. What, what's going on? That's, that's, Beyonce. That's a professional dancer right there. <laughs> that, that was my heart. That was the worst one for me. That was the samba where I had a, I had a bad mental health day and I was crying on the inside. It's very oh. hard to pretend to be Beyonce. Like it was the whole episode was about empowerment and strength. My mum was there. The women from Safe Steps were there. I was dressed oh, like a Um Well, thank you. My favourite was uh, the soul. I did, a, I did a salsa to no scrubs. Uh, it was a high school week and I loved it and I got flipped upside down and I was wearing this crazy red thing and it was, it was really fun. But yeah, the outfit <laughs> for Crazy in Love was bonkers. And I did in that dance a death spin. Like, yes. <laughs> that's just part of my life now. I love it. Part of my story is if someone says, has anyone done a death spin? I will say, yes, I have. Yeah, done that. Next. Would you do it? Would you go on, would you go on Dancing with the Stunts? Oh gosh. Ah, uh, no, nah. I'll probably, I'm probably more of a, maybe I might, might go on survivor or like amazing race or something. Oh, geez. Can you imagine how long is it going to be till we can do amazing race again? Yeah, cool. exactly. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So a few more questions for you, Celia. Um, the, the wind down questions, a question sure. I ask all my guests, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Celia, uh, oh. perhaps the youngster finishing high school, what would you tell her? Just chill out, lighten up a bit. Not that stuff, but just try and um, enjoy it a bit more. That's very cliche, but yeah. No, perfect. Yeah. Who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? That person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential. One of my first agents, Emma Race, who was like a, felt more like a friend and a big sister. And she called me Ladybird, and she just made me relax. Like when I would be freaking out about gigs and stuff. And she was really, her support of, and belief in me was just a hundred percent. And I just couldn't understand why, but she was a really good support and, you know, really encouraging of trying new things. Um, when I had no experience, like there was nothing to say that I could do these things. You know, I was saying earlier, I can believe it more now just because I have a track record, but in the beginning to have someone who saw something in me that I didn't see made me go, Oh, I trust her. She seems smart. So maybe I'll, I'll try and believe in myself a bit more. And was that your first agent? Yeah. Yeah. Her name's Emma race. She currently awesome. does a podcast called The Outer Sanctum about uh, women's AFL. Fun fact. Great, mm. great. Um, now, what's next for you, Celia, for everything you're involved in uh, for the rest of the year and beyond? I'll probably still be in my house forever. Um, but I'm quite lucky because I can be writing. So I'm working. Luke and I are writing Rosehaven Season 5. 
It's not really happening, but we're just writing it because we've got the time and every other season we've been sort of rushed. So we're really enjoying writing it. And if it doesn't happen, we'll still do, we can do it as a stage, you know, we'll just read it on stage. It's not, it's never a waste. Right. Um, so I'm doing that. I would hope to get back into stand up. That's the next thing I haven't done stand up for ages. So as soon as that's allowed, I would like to start because I've got all this material about dancing with the stars and nowhere to tell it, you know? <laughs> well, I but can't just- wait to hear all that. And, and of course, uh, would love to continue to support you, um, in, in bringing so much joy to the world. How can listeners get in touch with you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm very easy to find. I have a very unusual name, Celia Pequala. Um, that's me. Uh, if you just Google Celia and comedian, I'm the only one. Um, so that's cool. Uh, and I read stuff. I mean, I do a lot of different things. I'm happy for people to get in touch with me, but if the one thing is if, if you don't like something that I do, I don't need to know that. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? That's weird. But often people go like, it's usually, oh, I really like this thing. I didn't like that one. You're like, I don't, I don't, that's cool. I don't need to know that. Um, but uh, I, I'm, thanks for having me. I don't, I hope it's been, this is sort of what it was supposed to be and is useful, but um, any follow-up questions I'm around, I have the knowledge that I have and I'm prepared to share it. I think it's great. And um, so often we only have access to uh, people um, who are in the line of work that you are through TV. Right. And, and, and I would like to continue to bridge that gap, um, to talk about longer form conversations outside of just that, which you did and you delivered in spades. So thank you, um, so much for your time. It's something that I don't take lightly. And, uh, to be honest, a bit of a dream for, to, to interview someone, a, a TV personality that I, um, in many ways grew up with as well. I mean, although I'm only, I'm only a few years younger than you, Celia, I'm only, I'm only three, three years younger. Wow. Than you. But it, it's weird that isn't it? Because like when you're watching stuff on TV, you just don't imagine that by the time you get there, that they're still there. Like, but of course they are, because you know, it's yeah. not, yeah, I really appreciate it because you just it doesn't occur to me. I'm just like doing jobs. Honestly, sometimes it doesn't occur to me that people have seen stuff that I do. You know, well, it's, it, it's it was it's so odd that when I announced that I was going to interview you, I had like within five, ten minutes a bombarding of I love her, she's my favorite, oh she's the best. Just like <laughs> comment after comment. So you are highly respected and uh i think that uh that people are going to love listening to this so thank you again for your time i I really appreciate it pleasure well yeah stay in touch anything you need i'm really interested yeah um i'm around yeah really good to meet you see yeah all right i'm gonna go i'm just baffling now i'm off thank you for listening dear giants i'm truly grateful that you've spent this time tuning into this interview with celia pacola hopefully you had a laugh maybe you had a cry maybe both please send her a hi and hello over on her instagram i'm sure she'd love to hear from you her handle is celia underscore pacola that's celia underscore p-a-c-q-u-o-l-a Now, if you're enjoying these episodes, one massive way that helps keep the show going is leaving a short iTunes review. 
head to giantthinkers.com slash podcast review. That's giantthinkers.com slash podcast review. I read and appreciate every single one and it really does help get the show in front of more people who may need these stories and insights from our world-class guests. Now, a little teaser for our next guest. He is an Australian brand designer and branding icon, responsible for the development of many of Australia's leading identities, including Qantas, Woolworths, Virgin Australia, Rebel, Taronga Zoo, Caltex, and hundreds more. In 1982, he pioneered the concept of combining brand, brand strategy, and product development. Subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app, and you'll be notified as soon as that goes live. For any questions regarding the podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on my Instagram. Send me a message via my handle, the Giant Thinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Celia, who said, we have to push through it creatively. Keep trying things. Being scared is not a good enough reason to say no.